what is the right music to use in a program about eating disorders? No, no, that's that's not it. No, no, that's no, nope. Yeah, I'm gonna stop you right there. Uh, uh, let's see, one more try. Yeah, that's, that's probably more appropriate. I need to ask for your grace because I'm going to talk about something that is profoundly personal and immensely difficult. It's something that I wish we didn't have to talk about because it is one of the darkest things that affects the cycling community, that affects the athletic community. Um, even even outside of athleticism, this is something that crops up, that people are generally aware of, that people could probably explain the cursory basics of, but that very few people ever take the time to actually dig into, even if they struggle with it. It's, uh, it, and it's not even a singular problem, you know. I, I say eating disorders, but in reality there are three distinct psychological problems that I think we need to have a conversation about. And those problems are body dysmorphia, disordered eating, and eating disorders. Now again, those are three distinct pathologies. They are not the same thing. They are not, eating disorders should not be used as an umbrella term for those because they all have different connotations. They all mean different things. They all are experienced as different things to the people who, who struggle with them. Um, if any of you know already that you struggle with body dysmorphia, disordered eating, or eating disorders, talk to a mental health professional, talk to a doctor, talk to somebody who is trained to deal with this. And that is essentially the gist of what I'm here to say. If you remember nothing else, remember that these are medical problems. They are not lifestyle choices. They are not uh, things that, that people elect to have be part of their life or part of their, their psychology. They are difficult to control, they're difficult to understand, they're difficult to study, but they are treatable. And so again, at the outset, if you already know that you struggle with any of these problems, please consult somebody who is trained <laughs> to deal with them. Talk to a doctor, talk to a mental health professional. Um, if this is something that you're not familiar with, that you haven't struggled with, that a loved one hasn't struggled with, if you are an athlete who's concerned about some things that you're feeling, if you are a parent who's concerned about your kid, if you're an athlete or a parent who's not concerned at all and hasn't thought about eating disorders ever, I still think there's something for you to get from this. Um, I have to ask for your grace because this is not a comfortable thing for me to do. I am not a doctor, I'm not a mental health professional, but I am, and this isn't something that I share a lot. It's something that I've shared with a few people um, on very select occasions in the past. Um, I am somebody who has struggled with at least body dysmorphia and disordered eating. I do not think that it would be responsible of me to try and retroactively diagnose my high school self with an eating disorder because I don't have the credentials or training to do so. 
Um, but I think that you could make a decent argument that the amalgamation of my, of my symptoms could have represented an eating disorder. Um, again, this is something that I don't like to share. It's not fun to talk about. It makes me feel kind of gross. Um, because it's such a dark thing. And, and in retrospect, there are so many things that I did that were so far removed from what was reasonable and what was healthy that it almost kind of hurts to look back. And I hope that no one thinks less of me. I think very highly of everybody who I know that listens to this, which is why I do feel comfortable sharing. And while the information that I'm going to give you is all stuff that you can find on the websites of reputable, credible medical institutions, I want to give a little bit of a personal um, dimension for you to consider, and especially in some ways for you parents to consider. I want to give you a really raw look at what this can look like in practice, because it's one thing to read about it on the internet or in a health textbook or watch a show on Netflix that it has a character with an eating disorder. It's another thing entirely to experience it and to live with or, or care about somebody who is experiencing um, a problem like body dysmorphia or eating disorders. And so with all that being said, I would like to tell you the story of a boy who learned to ride mountain bikes when he was in high school. I am 23 years old. I'm about 5'11", and most days I hover around 180, 185 pounds. Uh, other than my shaved legs and weird tan lines, when you compare me to the general population, I look fairly normal. Um, that said, for better or for worse, probably worse, I've decided to dedicate myself uh, and my life to a sport where I am usually bigger than my age group peers. And this was especially true in high school. Most of the guys that I raced against looked smaller than me. They were lighter than me. And that had such a profound impact on my life. I can't even believe it because that is such a small thing. There are people who are listening to this who are going to hear that and say, there is no way that had a huge impact on your life. And to you, I'd say, I wish you were right. Um, because in some ways you are correct. That is a ridiculous thing to change your life over. Um, uh, you know, I should have accepted a long time ago that I have genes that dictate that I am going to be a somewhat stocky-ish, solidly built guy. Uh, I've been told that I would make a good rugby player or boat anchor or bridge support. But <laughs> that aside, I had a really hard time with who I was in high school. And cycling, in some ways, really helped me with that. And in other ways, it really hurt me. Um, I was not particularly athletic or active when I was a little kid. Um, I've always loved and still love eating. Um, and, you know, as a result, I was, you know, not only taller, you know, I hit a kind of a growth spurt when I was in eighth or ninth grade, but I was bigger than the kids my age. And I didn't even really think about this until middle school. You know, I, I came to a point where I realized that it took me around 13 or 14 minutes to run a mile and most kids my age could do it in six or seven um, I was very strong, but I didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to show it off. Um, all in all, my health and fitness sucked. Um, there was a point uh, where my pediatrician recommended that I increase my activity and, and that I try to lose some weight. And that was really hard for me. I didn't feel good about myself. Um, as I became older, I became aware of the fact that my peers were generally smaller and skinnier than I was. 
Um, I ate poorly. I stayed up late almost every night uh, looking at my phone. Um, I didn't spend a ton of time outside and I was a generally unhappy person. And then I started cycling. Um, I will spare you the story of how my wonderful father was endlessly patient with me and pushed me very slowly and very reluctantly over time into the world of mountain biking. But when he succeeded, it turned my life around completely. Uh, my weight fell rapidly down to about 170 pounds within just a few months. Um, and I discovered that my natural strength um, would allow me to ride with people that I probably shouldn't have been able to ride with at my experience level. Um, it didn't take long for me to be able to hang with the fastest group on Skyline. And it was at this point that I became increasingly aware of what other cyclists look like, and, and professional cyclists in particular. I love... I have always loved professional cycling. Bike racing is a gorgeous sport. It is unbelievably beautiful. It is the most passionate, intense, mesmerizing sport that I think exists um, in, in the world. I absolutely love it. But I had a really hard time with professional cyclists. You had these men that had tiny little torsos that extended into these sinewy arms and you could see every single vein and muscle from 20 feet away. They had to find jawlines and hollow faces. And to most people, these athletes would look ghostly, maybe even disturbing. But to me, they looked like superheroes. They looked like superhumans who had somehow transcended indulgence and had mastered discipline. And it's important to understand that in the world of competitive cycling, weight does matter. Depending on your discipline, it matters more or less. Depending on what race there is, it matters more or less. But at the end of the day, the golden measurement of bicycle racing is watts per kilo. And that is essentially the amount of power that you can produce compared to how much you weigh. And the theory is pretty simple. You know, a lighter rider with stronger legs is going to go up the hill faster than the heavier rider with weaker legs. Of course, there are some fringe disciplines in cycling, like track or maybe even downhill mountain bike racing, where you can be heavy and it's not a big deal. But for the most part, the cycling world is weight sensitive. Being lighter will increase your chances of performing better, all things being equal. Now, this, this being said, I spent years being stubbornly and willfully ignorant of the fact that not all professional cyclists are tiny little mountain climbers. During this time period, men who were big did big things in cycling. Andre Greipel was winning Grand Tour stages. Peter Sagan became a three-time world champion. Marcel Kittel won five stages of the Tour in 2017, which is the year I graduated from high school. You had Christoph, you had Degenkolb, you had Gronwegen, you had Bonin and Cancellara even. All coincided with this time in my life. But I didn't want to accept that big guys could be good because of my first problem. Body dysmorphia. What we usually associate and might even confuse body dysmorphia with eating disorders, they are distinct. The National Institute of Mental Health actually classifies body dysmorphia as an obsessive compulsive disorder. According to the NIMH, body dysmorphia disorder is a mental illness involving obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in appearance. Now, body dysmorphia doesn't have to be related to weight. An individual who struggles with BDD can focus on their face, their musculature, genitals, or even their hair. 
The causes of BDD aren't exactly known, but its manifestations are usually driven by social pressures or norms, and they're frequently related to gender conformity. Some women feel that they need to be skinnier, and some men feel that they need to be more muscular. Some men want to be taller, some women want to be shorter. Some women are told that their bodies are too hairy, and some men are told that their voices are too high. The actual manifestations are varied and complicated, but the good news is that it's treatable. Body dysmorphia disorder, like OCD, is often treated with SSRIs or antidepressants. I didn't start taking SSRIs until 2020, which was long after the worst of my experience with BDD. And they were prescribed to treat general anxiety. It had nothing to do with my eating disorder. Uh, I would incidentally recommend that if you are struggling with general anxiety disorder, that you talk to a professional and consider SSRIs if they think they're appropriate for you. They made a great impact on me. And I can only wonder what they would have done for me in high school. I don't think that there's a responsible way to like rank how bad my body dysmorphia was on some kind of spectrum. But I can tell you that it affected my daily life. Um, some examples. When I looked in the mirror or saw pictures of myself, I thought that I looked huge. And not necessarily fat, but big. I started to wear shirts that were far too small, pants that were far too tight, and other you know clothes that I thought in my mind somehow made my body look smaller. Now, as a side note, if you know even the basics of fashion theory, you know that this is totally wrong, that I ended up making myself look bigger. But that didn't matter, because in my mind, I thought they made me look smaller. Uh, another example, when I went to wash my hands in the restroom, I refused to look in the mirror because I knew that if I did, I would spend 10 minutes or more squirming around, moving my stomach and my shoulders, trying to make myself look the way that I thought I needed to. And I knew that at the end of all that, I'd still feel worse. Uh, I truly hated my face. Another example, no matter how lean I got, I didn't have much of a jawline. And I thought that my cheeks looked all puffy and bloated. And I didn't realize that this is just how my face looked. And that even if I got down to 3% body fat, I probably wouldn't have had a great jawline. But I would become upset if somebody tried to take my picture. Uh, there were even times when I'd sneak onto my parents' phones and delete pictures of myself because I hated seeing them. I hated that they existed. They were some kind of evidence of my failure to look the way I wanted to. And I heard, and some of you will remember this, that if you had long hair, it slimmed out your face. Now, after I heard this, and I don't even remember where I heard it or who I heard it from, I immediately dedicated myself to growing my hair out. And if you've seen pictures of me back then, you know that this was a bad look. Um, it took me years to be comfortable with cutting my hair. That's how bad this was for me. I was doing things to my appearance that made me look ridiculous because for some reason I thought that they'd make me look smaller. And over time, my body dysmorphia would lead me into our second issue. Disordered eating. The summer before my junior year, I started training hard. I'd wake up early, I would ride 20 miles on shoreline, I would go home, take a nap, and then wake up in time for a hard team ride and or intervals in the afternoon. Now, this was actually a fairly solid training plan. I was riding a lot, but it's basically impossible to ride too much as long as you recover and fuel properly. And you can probably see where this is going. My obsession with my weight and appearance meant that I was unwilling to take days off the bike. I had decided that I was going to track every single calorie that I ate, and I had decided that every single day 
I was going to achieve a 1,000 calorie deficit. Essentially, I would burn 1,000 calories more than I ate every single day. And during periods of particularly low self-esteem, I would aim for 1,500. Now, my twice daily training meant that I was easily burning 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day on top of my basal metabolic rate. And this meant that I could eat what looked like a pretty normal amount of food while still maintaining an insane deficit. And while I did this, my, my weight continued to plummet um, to the point where at the beginning of my senior year, I reached an all-time low of 153 pounds. Now, to be clear, 153 pounds is not necessarily a dangerous weight for somebody who is my size. Plenty of people my height weigh less than that. The problem was that this weight was too low for my body. I felt hazy all the time. I couldn't pay attention in school. I fell asleep all the time despite getting eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. Walking up the stairs from my bedroom hurt. I was constantly hungry and endlessly irritable. I had racking headaches all the time. Uh, my performance on the bike, in retrospect, had kind of started to plateau because when I was 160, 165 pounds, I felt strong. I could climb really well. But when my weight dropped into the low 150s, I really struggled to sustain my best effort for more than a few minutes. My ears would start to ring and my field of vision would narrow and I'd become painfully dizzy. And my best effort was out of reach. But because I was so light, even with this kind of mediocre power, I still achieved pretty acceptable race results. I climbed passably well, I still had a good sprint, and the people around me thought that I was doing pretty awesome. You know, the disordered eating continued, and it slowly became worse as my struggle with general anxiety disorder began to manifest. I would arbitrarily decide that certain foods were off limits, uh, and this was often based on nothing more than hearing someone mention that X food wasn't good for you. Uh, over time, I ruled out normal, healthy foods like most meat, eggs, rice, corn, and other things, and substituted them with basically rolled oats, whole grain bread, and insane quantities of fruit. During this point in my life, it was not uncommon for me to eat four to five apples, five to six oranges, five or six bananas, and a whole bunch of carrots and peas and other things in a single sitting. I tried to eat an entire bag of spinach a day. And as crazy as that sounds, the foods that I refused to eat were borderline psychotic. As part of a weekly religious communion, I was offered a small piece of bread about the size of a quarter, usually white bread, um, and I did not eat white bread. That was unambiguously blacklisted for me. But because I was uncomfortable publicly refusing this in a religious setting, I would quietly pack it together into a hard ball and swallow it whole because in my mind, the increased density meant that it would take more energy to digest it. <laughs> my school lunches consisted of two or three apples, two or three oranges, maybe four bananas, and a sandwich that consisted of two pieces of whole grain bread and two to three cups of spinach. These sandwiches looked ridiculous, and they were. When people would poke fun of me, it almost made me feel proud. I was better than them. I knew something that they didn't. My willpower was just on another level. 
and there was nothing that they could say or do to change my mind because I'd set my course. This is who I was. I was the king of self-control. I had mastered indulgence and, and I didn't need to give myself an inch. Every day after school, I had about 20 minutes before I needed to pick up my younger brother Jacob from uh, Wasatch uh, Middle School. Um, and I would use these 20 minutes to try and burn calories. Uh, through the fall and winter of my senior year, I would speed from the Skyline parking lot up to Rattlesnake Gulch and run in my school clothes up the trail as hard as I could. If you're not familiar, this is a really unpleasant trail to hike, let alone run, let alone run in school clothes in the winter. This was nuts. It was not good or impressive. It was just kind of gross and weird. Um, but in my mind, I had 10 minutes to burn and I was going to use it to burn some calories. And uh, I would sprint up the trail at a brutal pace and then run back down as fast as I could. And while I waited for him in the parking lot, if I had extra time, I would lay in the back of my car and do sit-ups because every single moment was an opportunity to burn calories and get close to or over my 1,000 calorie deficit goal. Um, and my body started to break down. The racing wasn't good. I was not achieving the results that I wanted. The races were painful and I was getting dropped. There were people that trained less than me who were beating me. I could not figure it out and I was angry. In the aftermath of one really disappointing race, my anxiety and panic over the poor performance led me to ride 20 hard miles right after I finished. After a really bad Nike race in Vernal, I immediately publicly started to eat a kale salad because I was desperate to demonstrate that my poor performance was not for lack of trying, that it wasn't for a lack of discipline. And it was all stupid. All of this was stupid. None of it was reasonable. None of it was scientific. It was all a performance, a performance for myself and a performance for the people around me because I didn't think that I was good enough and I hated myself. And this leads me cleanly to our final darkest problem, eating disorders. Let me start off with an excerpt from the NIH's website. Eating disorders are serious mental health disorders. They involve severe problems with your thoughts about food and your eating behaviors. You may eat much less or much more than you need. Eating disorders are medical conditions. They are not a lifestyle choice. They affect your body's ability to get proper nutrition. This can lead to health issues such as heart and kidney problems and sometimes even death. Eating disorders are more common than any of us would like to think. There are some estimates that put the number at about 10% for young male athletes. And like I said before, almost a quarter, 25% for young female athletes. Now to this point, I have neglected to mention that not all eating disorders center around the restriction or purging of calories with the goal of reducing weight. Uh, eating disorders can involve overeating as well. Because we exist within the context of a weight-sensitive endurance sport, I've decided to focus on a certain kind of eating disorder. But please note, this is way larger and more complicated than I can capture here. I also want to reiterate that 
the fact that you participate in a behavior like disordered eating does not necessarily mean that you have an eating disorder. I am not trained. I'm not qualified to draw a line and tell you when you've crossed the Rubicon and you have an eating disorder. Um, I'm not even really qualified to tell you what's body dysmorphia disorder and what's just having normal low self-esteem as a teenager. Um, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm comfortable saying that I, I think I, I think you'd be hard pressed to argue that I did not struggle with disordered eating. Um, I think it is reasonable to associate my symptoms and experience with body dysmorphia disorder, but I can't officially do either of those things. Um, and I especially can't retroactively diagnose myself with an eating disorder because I'm not a doctor and I never took the opportunity to speak with one. Um, you know, doctors are expensive and I didn't feel that I really had a problem. You know, um, I, uh, wish I had because eating disorders have names. They have recognizable patterns and origins. And most importantly, they have established treatments. There are things that can be done. Um, you know, while I met some of the pathological standards for an eating disorder, my weight never really reached truly dangerous lows and I was still eating food. Um, so I don't think that it would be responsible for me to try to put a name to my problem. Um, you know, uh, all I can tell you is that it gets better. Um, it got better for me. I met my significant other and she was my saving grace. Um, she helped me get back on track helped me, you know, reorganize my self-esteem in my mind. And I'm very grateful to her for doing that. But that wasn't her job. It wasn't fair to put that on her. That's the job of a medical professional. And well, the loved ones in, in your life and in your circle are certainly partially responsible for your happiness, and I'm sure want your happiness more than anything, they are probably, unless they happen to be a mental health professional or a doctor who specializes in this field, they're not really equipped with the tools to, to get there. They're not really well equipped to help you. Um, there, and I know it's a cliche and I know that it's 2022 and you've heard this a million times, but there is no shame in getting help for a medical problem, whether that is anxiety or, or a broken leg or suicidal ideation or a stuffy nose. They're all problems with your body and your mind. And there are people who spend years studying to be able to help you. And all I can say is if you know somebody who, who makes you feel, or says explicitly or otherwise, that you should feel shame for seeking treatment for a medical disorder, cut them out of your life immediately. If there is somebody, if there's an influence in your life who's making you feel like you cannot seek help for medical problems, whether they're in your head or in your body, <laughs> don't give them the time of day. Never associate with them again. I've known people like this. This is not an uncommon thing. It has been the standard default setting of humanity for years to reject getting treatment for mental health problems. And I can only say that just one more time, unambiguously, if there is something that is preventing you from getting help, get it out of your life. I wish I'd gotten help sooner. There was no guarantee that I was going to meet my partner. There was no guarantee that I ever got myself out of this. I could have fallen into a really deep, dark hole and my parents loved me to death and they did a really good job, but they weren't equipped to handle it. I should have gone to a doctor. I knew better. And, um, 
it's at this point that I would like to offer up myself as, as if not a resource, but a, a listening ear. Maybe, maybe you're not sure. Maybe there's something that's wrong and you're not sure if you can put a name to it or if, you're, if you really need to see a doctor and you need somebody to talk to who's been through this. I would like to put myself out there. There are lots of ways to get in touch with me. Um, you know, if you would like to do so anonymously, that's fine. Um, my email address is joedraper98, that's J-O-E-D-R-A-P-E-R-9-8 at gmail.com. Make a burner hotmail account. Talk to me. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. You know, if you have my number, shoot me a text. Let's talk. You know, um, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not going to solve the problem. But if you just need a listening ear, if you just need somebody to tell you that you're not insane and that there's hope, or if you need somebody to tell you, you know, that's probably normal for your age, or okay, that probably sounds a little out in the left field, you probably need some help. I'm here. Um, your parents are here, you know. Um, I have been so immensely impressed with all of the people that I have interacted with as part of the, the whole Maybird thing. Um, if you're listening to this, you have good parents, and I trust that they're going to do the right things to try and help you. Talk to them. Um, again, if you're not in a position where you can talk to your parents or the trusted adults in your life, um, I would extend an invitation to talk to me. You don't have to take it. That's fine. Um, the internet, you can find in seconds a good provider to help you out. I can't help you navigate your insurance, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, there are people who can. There are no barriers to you getting help, um, hopefully. Um, you know, please don't feel like it's easier to just keep living like this. And this goes for any problem. If you have, if you don't have an eating disorder or experience disordered eating or body dysmorphia, but you're experiencing some kind of other mental health problem, please talk to somebody. Um, you know, I can tell you that this story for me has a happy ending. You know, um, uh, I weigh a healthy amount right now. I actually probably have 10 or 15 pounds that I could safely lose. And I'm working on it. I think about it, but I try not to focus on it. Um, cycling for me is more than weight and it's more than performance and I know this sounds cheesy and hokey and you can all make fun of me later but it's a meditative process for me the the pain and the joy and the wonder are all components of this thing that I do to try and find peace and order and happiness in my life and my eating disorder might have ruined that for me it might have taken that away from me and I shudder to think what my life would be like if that had happened. Um, one more time. If you're not sure, talk to someone. Um, talk to me. Talk to your parents. There's a lot of different people who can help you with this. If you're a parent listening to this, prepare yourself for your kid to approach you, if not about this, about some other hard thing. I promise you, I know that you want them to be happy more than anything. And sometimes you have to take your kid to a doctor. You know, if your kid broke his arm, you'd take him to a doctor, right? But for some reason, when some parents hear about this, they want to shove it away. They want to say, no, you're fine though. Don't worry about it. Don't make a big deal. And I know that that's done with the best of intentions. And I know that being a parent must be terrifying, but please don't drop the ball on this. Um, when, and, if, and if you're not a parent, but if you're an adult in a position of trust, if you are a coach on this team, I want you to know that it, you are a trusted adult for someone. And that if a kid approaches you with a serious problem, step up to bat. Do what you can. If you're not sure and you're lost, talk to Dan and I. 
Um, talk to professionals. Talk to people who are trained to deal with these problems. And I promise you, I can, I can actually promise this, this can get better. And I can also promise that cycling can be part of the solution. If it's part of the problem now, that's okay. It can be part of the solution. Cycling is a good thing and it can make your life better. Um, and if it isn't making your life better, I want to figure out why and I want to fix it because nothing is more important to me than that. And one more time, I'd like to leave you with my immeasurable gratitude for your grace. Um, this has been uh, a process that required me to be a lot more vulnerable than I would usually be. And I, um, I know in my heart that uh, you will all be gracious and I know that you won't think any less of me. <laughs> um, so yeah, get help, learn, arm yourself with information and just remember that you are surrounded by people who care about you and who can help you. And if you think that you're not, you're wrong because I care about you. Because if you wear a Maybird kit, if you ride a bicycle, even if you don't, I don't care who you are, I care. And uh, the world's a better place because you are here and there is nothing more important than you finding long-term sustainable happiness. And um, I think that the bicycle is a huge part of that. And um, that's why we do what we do. So one more time, thank you all. Uh, I hope that this is uh, the beginning of a, of a long and maybe painful, maybe awkward, um, but productive conversation. And uh, if you have any questions, you know where to go. Thanks, folks.